I go by she, her, and hers pronouns. That's just how it's been for me. My pronoun is he, and I present as a he. Recently, I've come across they, and I, I like they. So you can refer to me either as she or they. This week, trying to understand the transgender issue. The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. We kicked off this week with that clip from the folks at BuzzFeed trying to get to grips with what people want to be called, but not answering that question, when is a man not a man or a woman not a woman? Boris Johnson seems to be quite clear about it. He's even said so in Parliament. When it comes uh, to uh, distinguishing between uh, a man and a woman, uh, that the basic facts of, of biology remain overwhelmingly important, Mr Speaker. So, does that mean you can't be a woman if you were born with a man's bits? Singer Macy Gray seems to think, yes, you are what you are. And I, I will say this, and everybody's going to hate me, but as a woman... Just because you go change your parts doesn't make you a woman. Right. Sorry. You feel that? I know that for a fact. So what about those who do feel that they are in the wrong body? Like MP Jamie Wallace. Here he is a few years ago on Sky TV announcing his plans to transition. I think I was eight years old when I was trying to work out uh, what this was. There wasn't, you know, the ready access to the internet and there wasn't, you know, anyone else in my community at home. Um, and I remember being eight and trying to work out whether this was something that affected just me. I, I came to the wrong conclusion. I mean, it was much later when I realised that actually there are other people that feel that way. Well, we don't know how many actually do feel that way. But in the US, it's reckoned to be about 0.6% of the population. But it seems in society today, many more people are questioning their gender, maybe not going down the route of surgery, but identifying as something other than the gender they were born with. And others who think when you're born, it's too early to determine our gender. You should get to choose that when you grow up. Sparrow is, I, I would say, anti-gender, which is a term, you know, that means before gender. Like, all children, you know, at this age are developmentally not able to really understand gender yet. It's just something that they're not, they don't have the understanding for. So it's not that the child is non-binary, it's that the child just doesn't have any gender yet. No, not being judgmental. That's a woman on Piers Morgan's show. I mean, you can judge on that. But she lives with two adult partners, one woman and one non-binary, with a non-binary child. So no wonder middle-aged white men like us are confused. So is it all going too far or is the case for more understanding needed? Because for a lot of us, it is difficult to understand. So we'll try and figure it all out to the best of our ability. That's this week. The Why Curve. Yeah, Roger, on that video that we played a clip from there, mm. uh, the, right at the very beginning, it was a BuzzFeed introduction to the pronouns for dealing with... And we all have to put pronouns on our on our things these days. It's, we, it's classic. You we do. do, and I'm not quite sure. I'm totally happy. Oh, about right, it. What are your pronouns? Uh, well, I'm he and he, he, his, I guess. His, him, him. <laughs> Sorry, there no, you see, you can see, see, I'm having a great yes. deal of difficulty. Well, I'm he and him as well. Let's, with, let's get that out there, with, and, and then we go on. From have there. difficulty with pronouns generally, but anyway, in that BuzzFeed video, there's one guy at the end who's saying uh, that uh, he finds it strange that most people can say, you know, I am just who I am. Whereas in his case, he says who he is or what, what is the term? I mean, he looks, this is the thing. He who looks they are? At, at who they are. Uh, and nobody believes him. Them? Uh, them? Nobody believes them. I'm just, but we're talking about one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, he's got a, he's wearing a man's shirt. He's got a beard. He looks like a man. He talks like a man. I'm fairly sure biologically he is a man. 
but we have to be very careful. How, so that's why nobody believes him. No, 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 no. But, but you, you're importing so much cultural baggage here. The fact is, you know, people... We still have to start off from a position, and the position has to be people are who they want to be. Yeah. All right? I mean, that's a pretty that. basic thing in society. Happy with that. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if they have a beard and they look like a man and they identify as a woman or as non-binary, it's fine. I mean, mm. what is the problem? I, I, a lot of my anger in this is really that far too much is made of problems where there aren't problems. Well, I, I agree with you on that, because if you think, you know, do, do we care as much about people who uh, have hair of a particular colour uh, or people of a, a particular nationality? You know, there's there's lots of ways we can discriminate against different groups of people or fat people, for, for example. Well, let's not go there in, in your case or mine. <laughs> well, you know, I'm trying to fix that problem. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. in all of these different classes of society, we, we, you know, you don't know how much bias there is against them a lot of the time because you're not confronted with the pronoun problem. So when but, you're but talking the pro- to... Is the pronoun a problem? Why is it a problem? Well, it's only, it's only because you... Well, I gave the example of actually not knowing how to describe somebody. Well, so, someone tells you, you know, it's, it's on their emails or whatever it is. Fine. They are what they are, what they say they are. Use their pronoun. It's respect. Right. I, I've done interviews with people where I've, I've very self-consciously used the pronouns they want. And it's quite a struggle. I don't deny it because mm. it wasn't the way I've grown up or been kind of used to. But you can do it. And you're using a... Uh, you're using they... Uh, do you change the rest of the sentence to being a plural as well, or do you have? Nah, but I mean, you know, that, that's a case in many situations, many languages. Uh, the plural, third person plural, is used as a term of respect anyway. I mean, mm. so, so it's not really a, a massive issue. So this idea of uh, well, okay, let's create a another word then for instead of he and her, uh, and you know, this, the, you can go back to old English and there were examples of uh, non-gender specific uh, uh, pronouns, and of course, in lots of languages. Languages that are non-gender specific pronouns, so this problem doesn't exist. Uh, so, what about that idea? Well, let's just create another pronoun for which is non-gender specific. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're getting hung up on pronouns. Where what the central issue in all this? I mean, it, it's descriptive. Uh, is what people are. Now, let, let's say that people who are trans, people who uh, want to be identified as either non-binary or to be non-gender specific, or to be identified against the the biological uh, sex that they have been given. And we need to distinguish between sex and gender in this. Mm. It's fine. Let them do what they, they want to on that. We're talking, as we said, about a very small number of people, relatively speaking, but they deserve their human rights. Right. But are they are they being vocal for good reason then? Because obviously this well, is a, this is a yeah. huge issue. I and mean, when we said in the introduction, in the United States it's probably about 0.6 percent of the population. It's certainly occupying more than 0.6 percent of public discourse because it's a problem for them in terms mm. of being discriminated against. They're not allowed to go into the bathrooms of the of the gender with which they identify. They're not uh, they're not allowed to be out there identifying in that way. They're not treated that way. There are daily microaggressions, if you like, against them. In that way and they shouldn't have to put up with that i mean what does it cost us to give them respect right but what is the answer to those issues you gave uh, and look we're we're going to talk to joe bartosz shortly uh, who's a journalist who's 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 across the feminist writer who's across this yeah it should be noted there's two middle-aged white men exactly talking about this uh, (laughs) exactly so not the whole podcast we hasten to add but i mean how but how do you fix that problem you just gave an example and i think that is a very important one uh where you are a uh a a, a trans woman who's or a trans man anyway you are a trans person who started life 
life as a man, you're identifying now as a woman. Uh, women don't want you in, your, in their change rooms. How do you fix that problem? Well, it is, it is a problem because there's been a big fight, of course, for women-only spaces. This has been an issue of, of women's rights for a while. Um, and it's a very difficult one to, to come around to without, I suppose, perhaps clawing back some of the gains that feminism has made. That is an issue. Mm. But overall, I think it's a question of toleration and acceptance. And yes, there are always going to be extreme examples of people identifying uh, as a different gender, perhaps in order to exploit a situation, trying to get their way into women's refuges, that kind of thing. But it's a tiny problem. It is a bit like treading, treading on eggshells, though, isn't it? When I said certainly to, for you and me. So I've got exactly well for me, yeah for for white men. It's it, it it is a real problem. We're trying to show understanding, and and sometimes you just say stuff which you don't mean to, and it's unconscious, and then you can get an enormous backlash from it. I'm sure I've already said in the first eight minutes. I'm sure I've upset some people. Right. Well, uh, let's but, let's go to the person who is in a, probably in a better well, position to talk. Before about we it, do that, just before we start, well, no, okay, let's go to Joe first, and then I'll make my point with with her. So Joe is uh, Joe Bartosz is a journalist, a feminist campaigner she writes for the telegraph the critic the spectator so you might be saying oh she just writes for all the right-leaning publications but she also writes for the new statesman as well so there we are that means it's balanced and look i noticed joe in your twitter profile uh, you don't have your pronouns listed um so would i be right in saying if you did it would be she her uh, um i prefer per per self identify oh do Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. We're clear on that. Now, look. <laughs> I was um, uh, talking to my kids. Um, I was just saying this before you introduced you. I was talking to my kids this morning. I said, "Oh yeah, I'm doing a, a podcast on gender diversity." My kids are uh, 16 years old. Well, just coming up for 16 and 13, and both of them just had this worried look on their face, and they're going, "Ooh, are you sure?" Because uh, this, it, I mean, in their mind and in my mind, this is such a uh, a, a vexed issue in many ways. You feel like you're treading on eggshells. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even if even if your intent, you know, your intent is right, and you want to do the right thing. You're it, worried about what it, you might it's say. A, it's a minefield. So, so, Joe, I mean, why is first? I suppose the key question is why has it become so toxic? Because I think that's not an unfair word. Why do you think that is? I think the movement has been mischaracterised as being about so-called trans rights, when in reality it's about the rights of a very powerful minority um, to dictate terms. So we are seeing like a, a wholesale change um, within legislation and it's happening across the world. It is part of a sort of a, a global push. Um, and I think it's probably useful to define terms. So when I say um, sort of sex, I'm talking about biological sex, being a man or a woman, and that's either producing large gametes or small gametes and even though intersex people are quite often used um, to, to muddy the water here, for the most part, well, no, actually, just entirely, they are either male or female as well. So that's a bit of a, a misnomer on this one. When it comes to gender, so gender uh, is a term that was coined by um, a, a sort of a sexologist in the 50s called John Money. I mean, obviously, it's a term in linguistics, but it was he... he referred to socialized behavior between boys and girls and how it differs because we do treat boys and girls differently whether we recognize it or not there's a lot of data out there to show that we do um and he used it to to describe that some feminists then picked up and used the term gender to describe those sort of socialized ways of being but then we have the concept um sort of latterly from around sort of late 90s early 2000s of gender identity um, 
and there's a lot of I mean you know it's 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 bonkers really so the idea is that we each have a an internal sense of whether we are male or female that doesn't depend upon our sex bodies and the reason it's claimed that this exists is because there are a very small number of people who feel discomfort in their sexed bodies but, but you're, saying it's, you're saying it's bonkers, Joe. But, I mean, mm. uh, those people you're talking about, there may be a small number, they do feel it. I mean, I, I have trans oh, friends. They, 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 they do not identify with the, with the biological sex they were born with, and surely they have the right to be treated as they feel. And you, and you, you talk about it as a, as a movement as well. You, you talk mm. as though they are getting too much of a share of the, the, uh, the public discourse because they are out campaigning but if they feel as though they are oppressed and clearly they do then you can sort of understand their viewpoint can't you? not at all i mean i understand their viewpoint i just think they're fundamentally wrong so the reason um so so, so gender dysphoria it's the notion of feeling like you have a mismatch between your biological sex and and your identity now i think it is absolutely entirely fair to treat everybody equally, to have compassion for those who are sort of suffering that internal mismatch. But I don't think it's fair to change legislation on the basis that their mismatch is in some way indicative that they are really the other sex, because we know that that's just physically impossible. You can have surgery, you can take hormones, but you can't really change your biological sex. And the reason that matters, and the reason that matters particularly for women, is because when you look at, for example, patterns of criminality, we know that 98% of those convicted of sexual violence are men. 95% of the prison population are men. So, you know, we have these patterns of, that, that differ between men and women. And that's why we have single-sex spaces like single-sex hospital wards, single-sex red crisis centres, single-sex refuges. Um, they don't exist because women are prudes. They exist because, to be, to be blunt, we are at risk as a class, as a whole, from men. But you're not at risk, from, you're not at risk from men, if you like, biological men, who are trans or identify as women. Those, that's not sadly, a threatening group, is it? Yes, sadly they are. So there's um, over half of those who identify as trans in prison have been convicted of sex offences. Now, that's disproportionate. And when you look actually at what being trans is, now, while somebody might say they have gender dysphoria or a mismatch between their biological sex and their their um, their presentation. They might say that, but at the same time, what's the difference? When you look at the word trans, it has become so broad. Trans people, according to Stonewall, the UK's largest LGBT lobby group, who I would argue now are a trans lobby group, argued that um, cross-dressers and transvestites are technically trans. So what we are seeing are people who don't necessarily feel some sort of massive sense of disjuncture between who they are and they have attached themselves to the um, LGB. So it was only actually in 2015 that Stonewall added the T. And this has happened very rapidly. It's happened across the world. And it now means that, um, as I say, every single uh, sort of women's space, if you like, has been opened up to this minority, some of whom are 
really dangerous um and you know just in the same way as men are and it but it, it puts women at risk and this has been borne out in statistics we've seen cases such as karen white a male who said he identified as a woman put in a women's prison he then went on to sexually assault women in that prison and this is happening across the world so it's it's not a battle of of trans rights it's actually about women's rights right so the lgb obviously before it became LGBT before the T was added I mean everyone in that group would say well we are an inclusive group all we're doing is uh, is fighting for equal rights and, and to be accepted in society the same as everybody else is that's all that's you know that's what we ask for yeah by saying, well, we don't want the T added, aren't you actually sort of arguing the, the opposite way? Because although you're giving us some numbers there saying, yes, well, some of these people are, are dangerous, obviously the vast majority of them are not. Uh, and it's, 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 surely it's, it's not inclusive to say, well, they shouldn't be part of, part, part of our group. So what we have seen within um, sort of the, the, the grassroots LGB movement and I'm, I'm bisexual myself, I'm, um, I have a female partner, I've been sort of civil partner to her for, for coming up for seven years. And um, what, what we are seeing is there's been a, a redefinition by uh, supposedly LGBT lobby groups <clears throat> to say that being same-sex attracted is now a matter of gender. So we have seen, for example, um, men, well, males with penises calling themselves lesbians, and they are now on every single lesbian dating app. And none of these dating apps will get rid of them because they're all absolutely terrified of getting sued. So, you know, we have seen um, and we have seen um, so-called trans men entering gay men's saunas. And, you know, to to, to be blunt, they are women, some of whom may have taken testosterone or had mastectomies, but they look like women to the gay men in those groups. And they are claiming that it is bigoted and that is exclusionary. For, um, for them to be sort of rejected as sexual partners but, but because Joe, they're all, female. All this is an argument from extremes. You know, you, you, there are lots of extreme cases you're talking about where obviously things happen, and they always have. Whatever rules you make, people will find ways around them and, and ways into them. But the vast majority of trans people like everyone else, do not have uh, wicked designs, do not have uh, sexual um, urges to do things that would offend and, 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 and attack people. They're not aggressive. You know, we're kind of discriminating against a group that in the majority, like the majority of everyone in society, doesn't have bad intentions. So why do it? Well, I think we've got to find some... We've got to find... Before you answer, haven't we got to find some hard and fast rules here? So you gave the example uh, of of men who uh, became transgender, became identified as a a woman, and then went into men's gay saunas. I mean, you wouldn't let a a woman into a a man's gay sauna. If she's identifying as a woman, why would would she be allowed in there? Um... Well, I mean, that's that's that sort of cuts to the root of it. So I noticed then that you, you said men who identify as well. Well, yeah, no, there we are. You see, there's, there's me treading on eggshells as well because I'm having yeah, difficulty well, getting around the, the terminology. Smash on them <laughs> and then just stomp on them. Yes, eggshell I mean, smashing is something we do a lot on this. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's a it's a fight against reality. I mean, I'm sorry, but however someone identifies, that's that's a personal matter. That's a subjective choice. It is not then up to the rest of society to validate that choice. And we are seeing particularly women-only groups, gay groups, lesbian groups being used to validate the identities of these people who say that they have a disjuncture between how they appear and, and, and how they feel. And, well, you say say they've got a disjuncture, but they have got the disjuncture. I mean, are you saying that they're lying, that they don't feel this way? I think... When it comes to, I think we've got two different groups who are often conflated. Now, I think you've got a lot of um, young women 
who identify as boys and men. Um, and I think once they probably would have um, understood themselves to be lesbian. Um, so we know that, um, for example, if you're looking at the scandal that's unfolding at the moment at the Tavistock Clinic, which was the UK's sort of leading gender identity clinic, um, around three quarters of those referred at adolescence are young women. Many of them are same-sex attracted, and many of them are also autistic. So they feel that because they don't fit into the stereotypes of what it is to be a woman, they must be a man. And these are stereotypes. And, you know, I think we have a, a duty as a society to, to let people know that it's okay not to fit stereotypes. But um, rather than sort of changing stereotypes, they're changing their bodies. And this is being facilitated by the state. Now, obviously, they are prepared, you know, there are uh, people are allowed to identify and feel how, how they want. But I don't think we should be changing legislation to reflect their internal sense of identity when the fact remains we are all either male or female. Well, let's look at that legislation in just a second. But just a general question Is some of this uh, rooted in the problem that we attach too much to gender? in society from a, from a very early age we we make boys behave like boys we make girls behave like girls and if they don't fit that i mean it used to be in the olden days you know if we had girls that were called tomboys if they if they were uh, if they were you know behaving in a more masculine way than was the accepted norm and then some of them you know grew up like that some of them uh, grew up differently it's just a, a phase you go through at, at childhood but i mean it's it's always i mean you know in your teens it's it's complicated isn't it trying to figure out who you are and then being told who you are uh, means you have to conform if we did less of that then we'd have less of a problem i suspect absolutely um and i mean that's been the sort of feminist argument from the beginning mm. is that um you know gender stereotypes are just those they're stereotypes and it is perfectly acceptable not to fit them and perhaps we shouldn't be forcing girls to um think about their appearance all the time to um uh, punishing them and it's it's true we do you know you, you don't hear little boys being referred to as bossy because they're authoritative you know we have all these we don't tend to compliment little boys by saying oh aren't you looking pretty today mm. we have all these sort of subtle ways of reinforcing these stereotypes and of course what's happened over the past sort of couple of decades is social media has um has obviously sort of plays a huge role in in shaping um shaping how we understand ourselves and there are a huge number of um sort of trans activists online who are actively telling children if you don't fit these stereotypes you need to go on puberty blockers you need to change your body you need to identify as and this is causing a a, a huge problem um but, but you, you there would be cases though wouldn't there where people actually do feel as though they are in the wrong body i, I mean it, there might be some people who are confused and if they you know if they explored further they spoke to the right people they had time to explore uh, you know th their own feelings they might uh, they might decide it's a bad yeah, idea and, and that but, actually is what social media is is allowing enabling that people can joke be able to explore these things it's not a social media obviously can be a, a force for for restriction as well but it's also a force for tolerance people can suddenly know there are people just like themselves but joey i i thought well maybe there are people who go through the uh, gender realignment surgery 
because of confusion, and that's a hugely, I feel like, again, eggshells, that feels like a hugely controversial thing to say. I think calling people confused because they think differently is, is not well, helpful. But, but if they, and I thought, well, maybe some of them are confused and therefore they have the, the surgery and then there have been cases where they actually want to go back again. You know, don't well, like people it. People change their minds, it happens. But actually, as it turns out, less than 1% uh, fit that. So those who are no, undergoing... No, that's not, not true, actually. Oh, is um, no, well, no, I was looking, I was looking at a survey from the United States, but you've, if you've got another yeah. figure, let me know. But I think, I, 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 okay, well, tell me what that number is, but I assume, I'm sort of assuming it's still relatively, a relatively small percentage. So, um, Sather Javid, um, obviously sort of prior to his resignation, um, has put through some, um, uh, has put through a piece of legislation so that we can uncover the research from the Tavistock so we can do sort of follow-up um, into the outcomes because it hasn't been tracked. That's the truth of it. We don't know how many people are desisting. Um, you know, it's, it's happened all across the world, but um, but speaking from the UK, so there are a number, obviously there was Kira Bell, um, who was, you know, had a, a pretty traumatic upbringing um, and is, again, same-sex attracted before identifying as a boy. There's a case um, recently was reported last weekend of, um, of a young man called Richie, I can't remember his surname, who... Um, who, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's, to be blunt, mutilated his body. He's chopped off his testicles and his penis. Um, he then discovered he was a gay man and he was um, in part coaxed to do this through social media. So it isn't, I don't think it is benign. I think actually what's happening is really frightening. But, but aren't we um, still arguing, Joe, from extreme cases? I make this point before, but I think, you know, that we, you, you, there are lots of situations where you can show extremes in which things have gone wrong. But overall, isn't it just about tolerance of whether it's feminists tolerating people who identify as women uh, or, or, or men tolerating uh, women who identify as men and just accepting it because we know that in the generality, they are not a threat. But there is the issue, though, isn't how uh, how do you deal with them in the in, in the broader world? So, which change rooms do they use, or do we have a trans change room which is never used except in the odd occasion where you have a trans person who who wants to use it? And in sport, do we have another trans category because we can't decide whether they should go into the men's games or or, or the women's games? Well, unisex I mean, bathrooms are quite well, you know, public mm, facilities okay. are pretty widespread anyway. They are, and there are also uh, it, it has it, there was again there was a time survey. There's been a, a much higher um, instances of sexual assault um, in women's in, in mixed sex um, uh, unisex even um, bathrooms we know that actually there, there have been cases particularly of voyeurism and of um, we know that women are at risk and it isn't about um, it isn't about demonizing a minority it's about making sure that the law protects the majority of people and you know that's what it exists to do it does so, feel um, a bit like demonizing Joe. when you talk about it you know you see them as a threat i mean there are a group of people who feel a particular way we, we may not uh, feel it ourselves but we can understand that other people do feel that i mean went back when you were growing up probably being uh, being bi was not something that was uh, commonly accepted in many areas and, and a lot has changed in the last 40 years in the lgb area of course um isn't it just a question of saying we accept that people feel a certain way, we embrace them because they are fellow human beings who have rights, and we attempt to adapt to make them comfortable without making everyone else uh, in danger? Joe is well under 40, by the way. Just to Yeah, just... Well, I mean, listen, well, I was going to say, but even, even 10 years ago, attitudes towards LGB people were very different. Um, 
I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'm going to be 40 this year. So, right. you know, there we are. I'm well under. Month, she's months <laughs> under 40. <laughs> um, so I think this sort of whole be kind thing. I mean, I, I've had threats on my life. I've had threats to have my house burned down. We're seeing women forced out of jobs for daring to voice their concerns on this. I'm, I, without wanting to sound rude, I'm kind of sick of being told to be kind because this is a, uh, you know, the, those who are activists are threatening they are frightening they're organized and um society is turning a blind eye to it because we're told constantly that they're a, a demonized uh, minority and of course actually most of those who are doing the threats and they're sort of being generally pretty horrific online and we have seen attacks by the way on gender critical women on women with views like mine physical attacks not uh, not just online. So it is mm. It is frightening. And there has um, been a lot of cancelling, of course, in cultural terms, yeah, J.K. Rowling, etc., of course. Yeah. Um, and um, so, I mean, you know, part of the reason that I'm a, a, a self-employed freelance <laughs> is because I know that I haven't got a cat and house chance now that I've come out on this issue of ever being employed by <laughs> a, a, a mainstream newspaper or having a, a, a normal job. It is impossible for me now. So today... We are seeing um, the ruling uh, on Maya Fostata. She was a tax consultant, and um, and she uh, alleges, and we'll find out what the judgment says, that she was pushed out of her job for holding gender critical views, for believing that you know men can't change into women and vice versa, and that it matters that sex-based protections matter. Um, similarly, um, there's been the ongoing case of um, of a, a black lesbian barrister who sort of, you know, faced enormous adversity and hardship to get to the top of her career, and then found herself discriminated against at work. Um, and um, Stonewall colluded. She alleges that Stonewall colluded with her employer to get rid of her um, because she holds gender critical views. And yet, we are constantly told that. Um, that you know it's, it's us who are the threat who are the problem who are the and this just isn't either borne out by facts i have never heard of a so-called sort of gender critical feminist ever attacking anyone or hurting anyone because you know that's not what what it's about that's not what we're about we're just saying that you know sex matters and it has taken you know it's, it's taken centuries for women to get basic sex-based rights protections and suddenly they're being rolled back at mm. breakneck speed because um, a minority of people are claiming that um, that their identities don't match their bodies. Well, would, wouldn't trans wouldn't to, trans activists be saying, "Well, we're we're just trying to do the same thing. You know, we're we're going through that same process. It's early days for us. We're just trying to get that affirmation, uh, that so that recognition." So there's kind of an elephant in the room here, which is, um, I think. Um, and again, I know I'm going to be accused of sort of demonising people, but it is true. You know, where are all the, um, for example? Uh, Eddie Azard, he used to call himself um, a transvestite, and he used to quit that you know these aren't um, these aren't women's clothes; they're mine. Um, was kind of you know one of his <laughs> yeah you know, yeah exactly. And now he is claiming um, to, to to be a woman. He's calling himself she, and um, and he uh, wrote um, I can't remember if it was a blog or if it was an interview, but about how he had been allegedly sort of mocked by some teenage girls when he was in the women's toilet. Well, I'm sorry, Eddie, you're not at risk, you're mentally. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, I think if mockery is the worst thing you have to to come across, and if your presence there makes women feel unsafe, sod off. But, but no, you, I mean, you, you, you know that, that in the past, LGB people were mocked uh, very much in the same sort of way. 
and probably still are. I mean, mockery isn't just something trivial. It's actually important because what it says, and you know, know, as a woman, that mockery can lead to violence when it comes from men as well. I mean, those things are real, aren't they? Mockery, it might not be nice, but when it comes to um, policing women's spaces, I think actually it's kind of fair enough. I mean, we are at risk as a group from men, and it doesn't matter if there's men put on a skirt, we're still at risk of them. So I think it's entirely fair enough to just say, you know, actually this is our space, get away. One final point, because we're running out of time. It's been fascinating talking to you, and it, it just shows how complicated it, it all is. Although, you, you know, from your side, you, you're making it seem quite simple, Joe. actually, that a man, you know, if, if, you, I mean, if you've got yeah, testicles, you're a man. Reality. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> uh, you've got science behind you a little bit there. But well, I, I, I think the things sim- when, when you say something is simple, normally it, it's, it's a way good, of, good, yeah, it's of getting away from the truth, to be honest, but that's my view. So um, the, the conversion therapy ban that the government is trying to push ahead with and uh, the are, there's a petition from the trans communities to say, well, we sh- we should be included in that as well. Which I've got a um, I've got two questions. First of all, on the conversion therapy ban, I, I do wonder whether, in fact, you know, the the intent of that law could be covered by by existing laws. I mean, it is crazy to try. It, I'd be crazy, for example, to try and uh, spend time trying to convince you uh, that you're not bisexual uh, because you know you are. Uh, and as you yeah, know, but we're, and, we're, and we're in a privileged position. There are many people in far less privileged positions in communities where it's not tolerated, where mm. the pressure that might not be covered by current laws is needed with new laws so that they can't be coerced. Well, I wonder whether coercion you would have thought would be covered by other laws. But in the case of trans people getting involved in all of this, uh, and I'm going to use that word confusion again. If you are, but it, I think it applies for, for younger people who aren't quite sure about their sexuality generally. They'd want to talk to someone about that, wouldn't they? And if and if we say, well, th- how much of that could be treated as as conversion therapy, uh, to such a point that psychologists say, oh, we don't want to get involved in that whole space now because there's a whole law against it. I mean, that could be a step backwards. So, so whether actually we're talking about the LGB community or we're adding T on the end, I'm not quite sure this is a sensible law. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's a really cynical piece of legislation. It was. First of all, they tried to rush it through, mm. so they cut the consultation period, and that the idea of that was so that they could release it in time for the um, for the now pulled LGBT uh, Safe to Be Me conference, which was a, a government initiative. Um, and then it collapsed after a protest by trans activists. Mm. Um, then, but do you think, but for, for, for trans, for the the idea that you know you need to talk to someone, don't you? You need to take advice. You can't absolutely. And I think I think it would be really, really dangerous to potentially criminalise. So in Canada, I think it's five years uh, in prison um, for for those who dare to suggest that you know maybe people might want to to, to question. Um, and when you look at, so I'd, I'd urge everybody to look up um, Dr. Az Hakim. He was targeted recently and the subject of a newspaper article by a trans activist and journalist known as Patrick Strudwick. Um, and um, when um, when a sort of details of the supposed conversion therapy he'd, um, he'd allegedly performed came out, he just asked this young woman who was saying that she was a man and who had rapidly begun to identify as a man, um, 
for her feelings, for her thoughts, it, you know, and that was construed because he didn't immediately accept her identity. That was construed as being conversion therapy. Um, so if you don't define terms, if you can't define what trans is, if you can't define what gender identity is, how on earth can you base legislation upon that? Well, you've got, you've got to draw a law up pretty carefully. I mean, that's true of all legislation. But the term gender fluidity means that there is no black and white, doesn't it? And we are, we all we, we all have our men, male or female bits, but inside, we're all there's chemicals messing around with us. And that's I mean, it's, it's, it's the chemistry that's actually determining the way we think. And, you know, that's, that's where the fluidity comes from I think more more um, more cynically I, I, I think the legislation itself I mean what there is no great issue in the UK I mean don't get me wrong conversion therapy is a horrific thing but there's no actual evidence to say that it's happening in the UK and where it does chances are it would be covered by existing legislation yeah. the point of the legislation was in fact to get gender identity onto the statute which would obviously be a massive win for trans activists. So that's why they were pushing it. And we've seen similar things happen across the world. So Germany have just introduced the ban. Um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm speaking to some um, feminists in Taiwan at the moment. Um, on Friday, I'm going to be chatting to them. They're fighting against gender self-identification, being brought in by similar things, such as you know a ban on so-called conversion therapy. So, you know, it's it's it, it was actually, I think, part of a, a wider and more cynical plot to get uh, quite a controversial idea written into law. Joe, do you think it, all this is going to, as I, I know people I know who are involved in feminism say, it's going to roll back feminism, that in the end, the things that have been achieved over a very long time uh, by feminists fighting extremely hard for them are going to be put in danger by this, not as an intention necessarily of what trans activists want, but just as a consequence. I mean, it's, it's happening already. I think on the, the flip side there, we have seen a massive resurgence um, in in feminism. Um, it's it's a really sort of exciting time to, to be interested in these issues. I mean, on the one hand, it's horrific what's happening. On the other hand, it is quite exciting that women are coming together and saying no actually our sex matters and being a woman is not an identity that can be tried on it's who we are all right well i think that's a very good point to leave it on i, I, I think what you're saying makes sense to some people to other people yeah, i, I can see would they would there'll be, uh, be a lot uh, of opposition out there Joe, but you know that already of course oh i do <laughs> um, uh, but thank you very much for talking to us because it was it was fascinating i didn't thank agree you, with you I on really everything as it. you may have detected but I but did. it's very good to hear your point of view um, thanks really thank nice you. to speak to you thanks, thank you Cheers. Now, you might be thinking, why this subject this week? Aren't we missing a trick here? That it did not occur to me then or subsequently that a gathering in the cabinet room just before a vital meeting on COVID strategy could amount to a breach of the rules. That's Boris Johnson apologising for the party that he said never was. And that is, of course, just one example of where he was, at the very least, economical with the truth. So has lying become the new modus operandi in politics? We'll look at examples from Australia, America and the UK next week when we ask, why does it happen? Why do we elect these people? And shouldn't we expect better? That's next week on The Why, Kev. The Why... Yeah.